Yeah. Yeah. There they are. It's true. I I had a I had a roommate for a while, and uh, he always said he would ask his six-year-old cousins to pray for him to get a wife, because he knew those six-year-old prayers got heard. <laughs> like you know who to ask for a wife. Those six-year-old kids, they'll pray. <laughs> it's true. The Lord, the Lord cares about us a lot. So, um, remember a couple years ago, there's a Tom Hanks movie called Survivor, and he was shipwrecked on an island. He was a FedEx. He was in a FedEx airplane, and it crashed in the middle of the ocean. Castaway. Castaway. Thanks. Castaway. I was just now. I was. I was planning on starting talking about that all morning, and then I was like, it wasn't called Survivor, but what was it called? Castaway. So the weird thing about Castaway, like you're watching it, and about halfway through, it's kind of a. a sometimes it's disturbing. I mean, it's an entertaining. It's a good movie, but some parts of it you're just like, ah! And there's tension. And I didn't find this out till after I saw the movie, but um, they have a soundtrack and they have music playing when he's like living his happy life as a FedEx worker. The whole time he's on the island, there's no background music. They never play any, like think about how much of music contributes to a movie, right? They never play any music because you just feel so empty, like they have wind blowing. There's never any, and then, spoiler, when he gets back to land, there's music again. There's background music like a normal movie. but. They did that so that while you're watching the movie, you just feel so utterly alone and hopeless and quiet. In 1 Samuel 27, remember I said I'm thinking episodically now, right? So 27 and 28 and 29, um, if I could have had like an hour and a half for sermon, I probably could have talked about all three of them in one big, huge, major munch bite. But we're going to, all three of them are part of one thing that we're going to talk about over the next three Sundays, okay? So 27 is the first part. And in 27 and in 28 and in 29, God is not present. God is not mentioned. Nobody, in, um, I'm not going to say nobody inquires of God because somebody's going to inquire of God and God will not listen and will not answer. And this whole section, you get this whole, oh, something is awful, is happening. And God is, is watching, and He is not intervening. You could, you could almost think God is almost not even participating in this whole next section of chapter 27, chapter 28, and chapter 29. And it reminded me of Castaway with no music. It's... Even as you read it, all of a sudden you get this funny feeling and you're like, oh, it's because no one, like, you don't even know if anybody's praying or worshiping or thanking in in any of this. So remember what happened before. We had David, for the second time, 
God gave Saul right into David's hands that he could kill him dead. And David said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. I'm going to respect that he is God's chosen one to be the king. And I will not kill him. And both times Saul was out pursuing David, trying to kill David with a whole army of 3,000 trained soldiers. And David was right there, ready to kill Saul if he wanted to with his 600 men, even less in, the, in uh, chapter 26. It was just him and one other guy. And so now David is just like, oh, I have been run. I got, you know, when I was a kid, I got anointed king of Israel. And I haven't seen any evidence of that ever being true. So let that sit on you for a minute. I got this promise from God's prophet Samuel, and I have never seen any evidence of it whatsoever. I killed Goliath, and that was great, and that was a miracle. I got to be in the king's palace, but the king was always just a madman and out of control and throwing a spear at me and trying to kill me all the time. And I got to fight for the king, and I got the king's daughter as my wife, And I did all this great stuff for the king to make him like me. And he still threw a spear at me again and threatened to kill me. And finally, you get to 27, verse 1. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. And I shall escape out of his hand. He is just completely given up. Remember, they, they thought, and, and um, I don't want to say they were wrong, but they weren't totally wrong. They thought that God was in Israel. And the place to worship God was at the, the tabernacle that's in the Ark of the Covenant that's at Shiloh. And so if you leave Israel... God's promised land that He gave to Jacob. To, they delivered, God delivered them out of Egypt and He gave them this land. He said, here's the borders. This is where you're going to live. Abraham, your children are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And David is saying, I have to leave here or I'm going to die. And I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines, which is away from Shiloh, which is away from the Ark of the Covenant, which is away from this place where God said, this is the promised land where you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God and you'll do what I ask you to and I'll bless you all of your days. And David is going over here. So that's a big deal, right? That is super, super sad. But that's how he feels. Because over and over again, remember, after the first time, Saul said, I will never harm you. I'm not going to hurt you anymore. I'm not going to pursue you. Weeks later, the Ziphites say, hey, don't you know David's down here? And Saul is right back out there to do it again. And David's like, enough of your promises, King Saul. I'm not, I'm not giving you any credit for him. And so he's just despairing and he is... He's leaving. So David arose and he went over. He and the 600 men that were with him. And they went back to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David's been to Gath before. 
he originally went to Gath when he was fleeing Saul. Remember, and they went and he got the sword that belonged to Goliath and he went in there and he started saying crazy stuff and worship. Not, it wasn't even crazy at all, but it was crazy to the people of Gath because it was worshiping the God of Israel. And he let slobber run off of his beard. And the king said, I got enough madmen out here. I don't need this guy to get him out of here. So now David's come back and he's in his right mind. And he has six, an army of 600 men with him. And he says, hey, can we come and live in your land? Will you give us like a little village? We don't need to live in the capital city. We don't want to put a burden on you. We don't want to be any trouble. We don't want to take up any space. Can you just give us a, a, a suburb? Give us a, some outlying little town to live in. And we'll go live there peacefully. And we'll be your subjects, and it'll all be cool. We, we don't want any trouble. So the king of Gath knows that Saul is the king of Israel. Because remember, the Philistines have been attacking Israel, and they come in and get, grab all their harvest and leave, and they're just a nuisance to them. He knows that David was a fighter for Saul, but hasn't been a fighter for Saul in a long time. Because in all the battles that they've gone out, David hasn't been around, and David and his men. And so it appears to the king of Gath that David has sort of defected. He's, he's left King Saul, he's left, and he's taken a little part of an army with him. And he's like, yeah, I mean, you guys can come fight for me. This is pretty good. So I'll give you this little town. So I just summarized it all. David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. When it was told of Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So it's not like these guys showed up like an army ready to fight. They showed up and they're like, hey, here's my wife. Here's my other wife. Here's my kids. Here's all of our stuff. And they're like, you're not here to fight. You're, here. you're not in tanks. You're in U-Hauls. You guys aren't here to hurt us. So if, you're, if you've left Israel and we know what good fighters you are because a couple decades ago you killed a giant, you can fight for us, sure. And so they give him this little town just like he thought. Saul is like, oh my gosh, David is so desperate he's going to live amongst the Philistines. We don't have to worry about him anymore. He, we don't have to worry about him being king. How could anybody be king of Israel if they're living among the Philistines? Well, unfortunately, that thought is probably getting into David's head too. Is how could anybody ever become the king of Israel if he's living among the Philistines? Then David said to Achish, If I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I can dwell there. Why should we live in the royal city? So he gives him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Gosh! That's like from the start of the summer all the way for a whole year, all the way to the end of the next summer. That's like how long it's been since COVID started, if you can think of how long that's been. The cool thing about Ziklag 
as it was in the promised land. It was a part of the promised land that the Philistines took back from Israel. And so when they say, when the king of Gath says, yeah, go, why don't you just go live in Ziklag? He doesn't know it, but he is already handing the promised land back to King David. <laughs> All right, so what do they do? What in the world did they do for a year and four months? David and his men went up and they made raids. What? They're still fighting and they're still raiding against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. For they were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. So if you get your study Bible out and you get your map and you start figuring out what's where and who's what and this and that, this is super cool. Because remember when Joshua came into the promised land and they drove out these people and they drove out these people and they got tricked by these people and then they drove out these people, but they made these people their slaves. (coughs) And then they quit and they let a bunch of people stay in the land. And God said, don't let anybody stay in the land because you'll, you'll mix your religion with theirs. You'll be led astray. And Joshua and the people didn't hold to that. And then Caleb came up and he's like, dude, Joshua, I'm 80 years old, but we haven't taken all the land yet. God said, take all the land. Joshua's like, you can have all the land you want. So Caleb keeps on fighting, takes some more land, but they still left a little bit of land untaken. Guess where that was? Right here. David is living among the Philistines. But he is fighting the enemies of the Philistines that are also the enemies of Israel that are living in the promised land that Joshua should have driven out. How's that for a while? Talk about playing the long game here. So as David raids these places, he kills everybody. Every man, woman, child, kitten, cow, the whole bit. Because he doesn't want anybody to say, hey, 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 king of Gath, we're getting attacked over here by some of your men. David and his men went up. They made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, the Amalekites. Remember the Amalekites? The whole thing that Saul was supposed to do was to wipe out the Amalekites. And he didn't. And that's why he lost his kingdom. They're finishing the job. As far as sure to the land of Egypt, and David would strike the land, would have leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. So he's coming back to the king of Gath with all this stuff. Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? Where did you get all this? And David would say, Against the Negeb of the Kenites, or the Negeb of Judah, or the Negeb of the Jeremiahites. They get pretty long in the words there. Basically, it's kind of like, um, oh, you know, down on Franklin Street. Where'd you get this? Down on Franklin Street. Now, you don't all know that I'm going to Smitty's and getting it. You think I'm going to the library. Where'd you learn all this? Oh, down on Franklin Street. Oh, he must go to the West Branch Library and get it. No, he's drinking at Smitty's. 
This kind of that kind of thing where David is saying, oh, I'm over in this area. And to the king of Gath, he thinks he's fighting Israel because this is the Israel, the land of Israel. But he's fighting not in where Israel is in the land of Israel. He's fighting where the original inhabitants are in the land of Israel. Does that make sense? So when he says, I'm over here whooping up people, you know, around this neighborhood and around that neighborhood. The king of Gath is like, oh, he is making himself such an enemy of Israel. I love it because the king of Gath hates Israel. What David is actually doing is winning more land for Israel and making. So if you were on one of those borders, let's see, let's go back to the uh, Geshurites. So where the Geshurites are is on the border between where the Philistines are and where the Israelites are. And so when people get raided in the land of Israel, they're getting raided by the Geshurites. And so if David wipes them out, then all the people that live along that border in Israel are going to be like, Yay! Saul slayed his thousands, but David slayed his ten thousands, and he liberated us. So this is also kind of a power play of David winning a reputation around all these places. So, I mean, it's genius because the king of the Philistines loves him and all the, the common folk of Israel are loving him. And he's fulfilling what God told Joshua to do way back when. So David would leave nobody around to, alive to bring the news to Gath, thinking otherwise they will tell about us and they'll say, look at what David has done. So he doesn't want to get ratted out. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. So for 14 months, David did this. David and his men. And they would pillage and take stuff. And then they would take it to the king of Gath. And give it to him to show him, Hey, look, we are fighting for you. We're expanding your territory. We are on your side. And he bought it. Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. It, it says that really clear, but you've got to read it really slow to think about it. The king of Gath thinks that David will always be his servant. Like he's going to be his servant. The, the, way, the way the Hebrews word it is, from now on, for all the rest of his days, David is going to be my servant. He's going to kill for me. He's going to fight for me. And the king of Gath thinks that. The problem is, from just this chapter right here, we don't know that David thinks any different either. We don't know that David's 600 men and all of their wives and all of their kids that are all living in the land of the Philistines... We don't know that any of them think any different. That this might be their way of life. Just think about it. They've lived in caves. They lived in a forest. They've lived in the wilderness. They were in a, a rocky desert. And this is the first time that they have lived in a village since David fled. All the way back to the Engedi Fortress and, and 
Saul was throwing spears at him. So they've been on the run uh, like a nomadic people, fugitives, with this army of 3,000 chasing after them for a long time. So all of a sudden you start to kind of sympathize with, gosh, yeah. I mean, even they couldn't even go back to um, Nabal. You know, Nabal died and he had all of his thousands of sheep and goats, but there were all those people there and they didn't know. There were other places that David liberated and rescued and then all the people turned him over to Saul, right? Remember that? I forget what the name of the city was, but that, other, that had happened. So even then they couldn't rest. And so now finally in the land of the Philistines, they're resting. Even though they're doing their job, which is to raid and pillage and destroy. Well, we don't know that David wrote these during this time. He could have written them after this, but when you look in Psalms, you can see David's mindset of what was going on and what kinds of things he was feeling. I have friends that write songs and I'm not saying that they're inspired by the Holy Spirit like David was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes my friends will write a song about something that happened to them 10 years previous. And it's taken them 10 years to work through what all happened. And then they can see what the end result was. And then they can see how that affected them and then they're able to write a song. Does that make sense? And so sometimes when we read the Psalms and it'll have the little thing, you know, David wrote this while he was on the run from Saul, while he was hiding in the cave. And it's like, yes, he probably wrote it. Maybe even the whole thing. But it actually got written down and turned into music when David was a king sitting on his throne, eating grapes, right? I mean, whatever comfort that he had, that he had the the actual comfort to compose a whole song with it. So, to get David's mindset in this, let's go to Psalm 11. Psalm 11 is, it's a good psalm to look at and to read it in the context of David is on the run. He is growing up and he's acquiring wives. So he's, you know, has a, a mindset of longevity and I'm going to grow old and I'm going to have kids and I want to have grandkids and I want to have land. This weird thing happened when I was a kid that I got, I got anointed king. I don't see any evidence of that at all happening. But remember when he got picked to be king, that he would sit out and he would spend time with the Lord. And he was known, he was known even as a kid, as somebody that spent time praying and worshiping God while he was being a shepherd. So, with all that in mind, Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? He's saying, even if I was told to run away and flee, when somebody shoots an arrow, they can shoot it so far. You can shoot a bird. You know, you can, you can take your bow and arrow and, and shoot a deer or shoot a bird from so far away. What good is it to run and flee? And he's saying that. And then 
gosh, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the king of Israel, anointed by God, is out to kill me, then how can my righteousness save me? If the priests that serve God, I'm thinking about Eli, right? And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and how corrupted they were, they're the foundations of Israel. And you can't, I mean, who would want to be righteous if that's what, if the high priest and his children and the king are so corrupt and messed up, who would want to be righteous, right? Foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? But there's a whole bunch of places in the Psalms where you want to get out your Sharpie and you want to write in all caps, but because there's this turning point of the Psalm. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So David is running and he's fleeing. And gosh, we haven't slept in a bed in I don't know how many years. And don't worry, wife, I'm going to stay awake tonight and make sure nobody comes in and kills us. And now we're sleeping in caves that people use the bathroom in. And but God sees us. God watches us and he looks at us. He hates the wicked. We can trust that God hates the wicked. And it's hard to read that and you're thinking about Jesus and love your enemies and to be kind to them and forgive them. And yes, that's all true. Sometimes there's things that are just wicked. And note I said things. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in this dark age. There are things that are wicked. There are powers that are wicked. And we can be really glad that God is going to destroy those wicked things. We can have a lot of peace in that. Remember, we've been talking about it for like five weeks now. Not taking revenge into your own hands. Not avenging yourself, but letting God do it. Well, we can let God do it when we know He hates wickedness. His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And the upright will behold his face. So here's David trying so hard. I'm so far away from Shiloh. I'm so far away from the the tabernacle. I have no hope of ever seeing the Ark of the Covenant and, and seeking God in his holy place ever again. But I know he's still on his throne. And I know he's watching out for me. And I know he's fighting for me. All right, skip over to 35. Remember, in in 1 Samuel 27, there's like two places where it talks about what David felt. He He told his heart. In his heart, he said, Saul is surely going to kill me. I am just dead meat. I am no good. And um, we act on the things that we believe about ourselves. If I, if I don't have any confidence, I'm going to try to uh, fake it and generate confidence somehow, right? Even though I should have confidence. 
if, if I believe that I'm, I'm a, a lower second class citizen just because my car doesn't have air conditioning and I, and I slouch, then I'm gonna keep my windows rolled up when it's really hot just so nobody knows that I don't have air conditioning. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> Whatever we think about ourselves, we act on, right? We, we, if we believe something, whether it's true or not, most of the time we believe lies about ourselves and we act on those lies and, and it's just... So, side note, my neighbor texted me the other day. He's like, did you know you're driving down the street with your side door open <laughs> of my van, of my junky purple van? And I said, dude, that's my air conditioning. Don't judge. <laughs> it's great. The window does roll down. I can roll down the window and I can open the car. It's, it's awesome. I'm very thankful for it. Um, when we believe something about ourselves, we act on that belief. And so here's David believing Saul's going to kill me as long as I'm in Israel. I have no hope but to leave Israel forever. At the same time, this stuff that's in Psalms is what David was really crying out in his prayers. Just deep heart and soul stuff here. Okay, Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Wow. How do you like that? Lord, King Saul is trying to kill me. Remember, he did it. He, last week he said, May God show me mercy the way I showed you mercy today. God, contend with them. Take hold of your shield and your buckler and rise for my help. Draw your spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Because he doesn't feel like the Lord is his salvation. It's a, it's a really weird prayer thing and it's a really weird and, and you may have felt this way before where... You feel one way, but you know you shouldn't feel that way because you should feel another way because this way. And you get all conflicted and you feel guilty for not feeling guilty or you feel guilty for feeling happy because you shouldn't be happy because of this. And there you are inside yourself, conflicted. David felt that way too because here he is. He's, he's got his brain that's clear and rational. You know what? God has made promises to me and God will, he anointed me king. He's going to fight with me. But this is how I feel. And I feel all downcast. And so in his prayer, he's saying, listen up, soul. Here's what the truth is. The Lord is working salvation. There's other Psalms that say, why are you so downcast? O my soul rejoice in the Lord. And it sounds like schizophrenia. And it sounds like just trying to do these stupid daily affirmations. You know, you write on your mirror, you're a good person. I'm a good person. There's something deeper that is actually true. And we see it happen in the Psalms. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. And he goes on and on and on, you know, with 
let all this bad stuff happen. Skip down to uh, 3517. How long, O Lord, will you look on? How long is this going to go on? He was a year and four months. We have some friends and the mom had breast cancer. And we prayed for her and she went through chemo and all of her hair fell out and the husband shaved his head and, and it was just really, really hard. And then Facebook does that funny thing that it does. Here's a memory from a year ago. And they got reminded of all of their bad news that a year later was over and complete. And she was in remission and she got a full head of hair and so does he. Well, not so much him. And they're back to normal. And it was like, that was a terrible, terrible, horrible year. Right? We have, we have that with my mother-in-law. She had breast cancer and, and had a horrible, you know, we didn't have Christmas that year with her and all this. And now it's like in the past so far, we've come out of it. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me. Well, none of this stuff is permanent. The Lord is looking on. Remember the earlier psalm. He's in his throne. He's watching. He will fight for those that are broken down. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. David knows that at some point he will be delivered from this. From this time in the Philistines, from this time away. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He doesn't know how long it's going to be. We've had times in our own house where we've been in rough spots and bad places. And, and sometimes I'm the encourager and sometimes Cindy is the encourager. And it's, it's worked different times both ways. Where the one says to the other, I think just don't, just let's give it another week. And within that next week, you know, the job came in. Somebody bought us a car. You know, somebody got healed of something. It was just like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't waste the last week in despair and giving in to full on, you know, being depressed about our situation that I kept on depending on God, worshiping God, praising Him. So, all of that to wrap up and say, as you read the Psalms, look around at your footnotes and look around to see, gosh, here is David in these situations when he prays these things. And even then, um, if I skip down to the end of 35, 35, 27, let those delight in my righteousness, shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the care of his servant. God delights in taking care of us. You know, we always... We, we hate to ask people for help with something, right? Oh, I hate to ask you to do this. Oh, I don't. I hate to trouble you. I hate to trouble you and ask you to do that. And God is just like, will you please? I so want to help you. I had a friend one time and I loved his whole family. And I was like, dude, your dad is so awesome. He has everything. He's like a gazillionaire. There's no way I can like give him a present. How could I really honor him and like show him I like him a whole lot and I think he's awesome. He said, dude, if you just went out there some Sunday afternoon and asked to see his Model T, he loves talking about his Model T. 
And if you just stayed there and listened to him for two hours and let him carry on about his Model T, he would be so happy. That's like his favorite thing. Isn't that funny? That guy, I might think, oh, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to go and be like, hey, will you tell me about your Model T? That guy is sitting at home and he's like, I wish someone would come and ask me about my Model T. Oh, oh, the phone rings. Oh, you want to hear about, oh, you just, oh, okay, no. That's how God is in taking care of us and caring for us. Sounds a little weird, but how could you really make, just show God that you love him and you honor him and you like him a whole bunch is to ask him for help because he really wants to help you. So he doesn't show up anywhere in 27 and 28 and 29. But after David is out of this whole scene and he writes these Psalms, we can see God was sitting on his throne, delighting in helping David win back a bunch of the promised land, right? Care for his wives and his kids and take care of all those 600 people and all those 600 men, all their wives and kids too, all while letting Saul kind of run out of steam and burn himself up. It's awesome. Next week will be totally crazy. Just telling you. Just get ready. It'll be, it's going to get weird. If it hasn't gotten weird yet, it's going to get weird next week. So, All right, let's pray. Lord, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you so much that you would be so full of love and compassion and mercy that your favorite thing would be the welfare that you would great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants, that you would delight in taking care of us. We praise you and we thank you that that is your promise and that your promise is true. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 147 together.
so church, the message from Jesus is that in God is light and there is no darkness at all. And my prayer for you this week is that you see God at work, even if he doesn't show up in your pages. God bless you.